0: Welcome to Sojourn. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and if this is your first time gathering with us, maybe you're in town visiting for Memorial Day or are just checking out churches or new to the area or just checking out who Jesus is, wherever you're at this morning, uh, if this is your first time here, we're glad that you're here would love to meet you after the service. I usually hang out down front. We'd love just to say hello, so please come up and say hi. Uh, but we have a great group of people here that call Sojourner their church. We really want to be a family together. So just look to somebody near you and say hello to them. And if you see somebody that you don't know, uh, Sojourners, reach out and say hi to them this morning as well. I mean, it's good to be with you this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's beautiful outside and just a gift for us to be able to gather together Uh, to worship God as a community. We're going to be preaching in the book of Hebrews or out of the book of Hebrews this morning, so if you need a copy of the Bible, if you just raise your hand, a couple of guys will bring a copy of the scriptures around to you, and uh, you can just keep your hand up so they find you this morning. Please feel free to take that home with you as well. Uh, That's our gift to you if you don't own a copy of God's Word. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we begin our time in His Word this morning. Would you pray with me? Holy God, You are high and lifted up. You are the God of all creation, mighty in power and in strength. And yet, God, You have made Yourself known to us, finite people, Your creatures, Your creation. Lord, You've made Yourself known, and You've made Yourself known through Your creation as we look around and see the greatness of who You are especially on beautiful days like today, but you've made yourself known specifically through your word. And so Lord, as we open up your scriptures this morning, as we look at these few verses in the book of Hebrews this morning, we pray that this wouldn't be just a a time to learn new facts, new things to fill our minds with information. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word that we would be confronted with who you are, We would grow in our knowledge and understanding of your character and your nature and what that means for our life. And we would not just take that information into our heads, but it would be transformative into our hearts and our lives. That as we sit here this morning, that you would do a work in us because your word has been preached to us and over us as we've gathered together as your people. So Father, grab our attention today we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would grab our attention, that you would help us to focus in on and receive what you have to say to us this morning, because we are here. Grab our hearts and enable me, as I preach this morning, to make much of you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and move in power today for your glory and for our good. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when many of us are, probably most of us are making decisions in life, there's, there's something that we either say, a phrase that we might use, or at least a, a kind of a concept that we'll employ as we seek to make decisions, and that's that we need to take things into consideration. We need to take things into consideration. Well, what does that mean when we say that or think that? It means that as we evaluate a course of action or a decision that we're about to make, we need to take into account different factors, different circumstances and possible outcomes of a decision that we'll make, whatever that decision happens to be. A pilot needs to take into consideration the wind and the weather and his fuel and the weight of the cargo that he's carrying. A doctor needs to take into consideration her patient's medical history or family medical history. A photographer needs to take into consideration things like lighting and scenery and the desired outcome of what he or she wants to see in the picture that's being taken. If you want to go on vacation, you need to take into consideration the cost of that. If you have time off from your workplace and how you're going to actually get there. If you're going to go out to dinner, even smaller things like that with your friends, or you're looking to buy a new pair of jeans, you need to take into consideration if you actually have money to do that or not. And then if you actually do go out to dinner or you do buy that new pair of jeans, are you going to have enough money left over to meet other financial obligations that you have in your life? At the end of the day, though, taking things into consideration really are only suggestions. They're only data points. Ways that you're going to be able to take all these different pieces of information, consider them all as they are laid out in front of you to then make your decision off of those things to help you one way or the other. Well, as we come to our text today, you and I are called to consider something. We're called to consider something, but this call isn't a suggestion. It isn't a recommendation to take into account, but it's a command. And it really is a plea from the author of Hebrews, from God, to contemplate deeply and focus in on. See, we find ourselves in the midst of a turbulent world and there are a variety of things that are vying for your attention, a variety of things that are vying for the loyalty of your heart. So the author of Hebrews in the midst of that is calling you and me to consider Jesus, to focus intently on Jesus, to focus unswervingly on Jesus. Jesus. And it's not a recommendation that can be easily discarded, but it's a matter of life and joy and peace. See, the original audience that the author was writing to was faced with the temptation. They were faced with the temptation to elevate and pursue other things. Even religious things over and above Jesus or in addition to Jesus. And while the objects of temptation for them might be a little bit different than they are for us, the reality is, is that the same temptation remains for you and for me to take other things into consideration and elevate those above and beyond Jesus. Each of us are tempted to look for our confidence and our hope in less glorious things. And so my hope today is simple. That both individually and corporately, we would consider Jesus. Whether you find yourself walking closely with him right now, or you're here this morning and you're not really sure about who this Jesus guy is, or if God is really real and even exists, no matter where you find yourself this morning, my hope is, is that together we would consider Jesus. And so with that, let's jump into God's Word, and may he bless the preaching of his Word this morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Hebrews chapter 3. We finished the first two chapters already of Hebrews, so we're jumping in to the first six verses of Hebrews 3 this morning. This is what the author of Hebrews has to say to us this morning. This is what God has to say to us this morning. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our Confession to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So far in the book of Hebrews, we've seen a lot of amazing truths about who Jesus is. A lot of amazing truths about why that matters to you and to me. We've seen that Jesus is the full and final Word of God, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We've seen that Jesus is the Son of God who is greater than the angels, and his message of reconciliation and grace is superior to the message of the angels, to the law that the angels delivered. It's a message that you and I must pay much closer attention to. And last week we saw what Jesus is like, that he is like us that Jesus takes on our humanity and he endures hardship and suffering and temptation just like you, just like me, but he does so perfectly without sin. And he destroyed the power of death by overcoming death through resurrection. He became like us so that he could be a representative for us, so that he could go before God on our behalf, but not just as a representative, but as a merciful and faithful high priest. Paying for the sins of God's people. And now he is able to help us who are being tempted. So simply put, through these past few weeks that we've been in the book of Hebrews, in this series, we've already seen that Jesus is better. And today we'll continue to see the author drive that truth home and into our hearts. We're going to break this sermon down into three points. Consider comparison and confidence. Consider comparison, and confidence. So let's jump into our first point, consider. We see this in verse 1. The author of Hebrews starts off with the word, therefore. And he isn't really referring so much to what he said in in all the book of Hebrews thus far. He's not even really concerned so much with what he said in all of chapter 2. What he's talking about specifically when he says, therefore, is what he says at the end of chapter 2. Let me just read it for us again, if you weren't here last week, or just to refresh our memories. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, since therefore the children, meaning you and I, humanity, share in flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, therefore. See, he's talking to a specific group of people here. He says, holy brothers or holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling. What does this mean? We need to understand that followers of Christ are a called out people. They're a called out people, and that calling is from God, and that calling brings us to God. So those of us who know and follow Jesus, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we have been set apart and transferred to the kingdom of God, to this new kingdom. Your citizenship has changed if you're in Christ you are now a citizen in the, of the kingdom of heaven. You are part of the family of God and you are unable to be a partaker of his eternal rest. So the author of Hebrews is saying, therefore, in light of who Jesus is, a merciful and faithful high priest, and we're going to get a lot more explanation about what that means through the book of Hebrews. But at this moment, we have this idea, a merciful and faithful high priest who has saved us from our sin by dying on the cross for us. Then you... You who are saved by him, who are on your way home because of him, you who are set apart, you who Jesus helps when you are tempted because he is like you, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Think on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your heart on on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. Contemplate and meditate on Jesus. Observe and think carefully about Jesus. Follow Jesus. And who is he? Well, we get some more descriptions about who Jesus is here. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Nowhere else in Scripture is Jesus called an apostle. Nowhere else in Scripture. But when we understand the true definition of the word apostle, we see that Jesus is very much an apostle. See, the word apostle means sent one. It means messenger. And Jesus is indeed that. He is sent by the Father to us as one of us to rescue us. He comes as a representative of the Father. He explains God to us. In the Gospel of John, 35 times is Jesus said to be sent by the Father. 35 times. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith that we just sang about. He is the full and final Word of God. Jesus comes speaking a better word as the better word. He is an apostle in the true sense of the word. And he's also a high priest. He comes to intercede on behalf of the people and he does so by laying down his own life to bring us to God. As one pastor puts it, human beings need two things. Every human being needs two things. We need to hear from God and we need to go to God. We need a word from God and we need a way To God. The reality is, we have both of those things in Jesus Christ. So, we must consider Jesus. We must consider Jesus. But the reality is, you and I have so many options in life. In in an affluent Western culture, we just have so many options. Recently, a former global missionary said, then when he came back to the United States after serving overseas for a long period of time amidst an unreached people group, he came back home uh, to the United States and he was here for, I don't remember if he was here uh, permanently or he was just here on a, on a break coming back home for some rest and recovery. And he needed a toothbrush. And so he went to the grocery store to get a toothbrush. And when he got there, he was immediately overwhelmed by it because it was so big. There were so many options in this grocery store for everything, And then he found the aisle that has toothbrushes. There's a whole aisle for that. And he stood there and he didn't know what to do. Because in the country that he'd been working in, if he wanted a toothbrush, there was one place to go get one. And there was one option when you got there. And so here he is standing in front of literally hundreds of toothbrushes. Do I get one or two? Is the family pack a good deal? Do I get one that's super soft or soft or medium bristles? Do, do I get the angled toothbrush or the straight toothbrush? And there's all these electronic options. Should I go with that or not? In a sea of options, it took him forever to pick out the one thing he came to get because there were so many choices to consider. But what the author of Hebrews is saying when he says consider Jesus is not that Jesus is one of many good and reasonable options that will get the job done. No, he is the paramount option. He is the preeminent option. He is the only one who can and has gotten the job done, who can save you and bring you all the way home. At this point in the book of Hebrews, it's as if the author is saying, "Like, who else would you want to follow? Who else would you want to live your life for besides Jesus? But the reality is, both for his original audience and for you and for me, we are tempted to consider, tempted to follow someone or something else besides Jesus. And so this leads to our next point comparison. We see this mainly in verses 2 through the beginning of verse 6. In these next few verses, the author of Hebrews makes a comparison. And it it seems a little bit odd, to me at least. He doesn't immediately jump in and say, well, let me compare him to um, riches. Let me compare him to work. Let me compare him to relationships. He just compares him to Moses. Why does he do that? Well, we need to understand that Moses is held and holds a high position in Judaism. And the primary audience that the author is writing to are Jewish Christians, Those who have been, they're Jewish by heritage and have been walking in the law in Judaism for a long period of time, but they've started to follow Jesus. But Moses holds this high position in Judaism. He is the mediator between God and God's people. He's the one that the angels delivered the law, but he speaks it to God's people. In many ways, Moses was an apostle and a high priest because he spoke to God and for God. Countless times, as we look through the beginning of the Old Testament, we see Moses intercede as a mediator for God's people before God because they continue to be unfaithful. And so we can't underplay or downplay the significant place that Moses holds in Judaism and holds with this audience. And so what the author is saying here is a bold statement. And the comparison he makes is one of similarity and one of difference. He starts off by saying Jesus was faithful to God. He was faithful to God who appointed him in this particular role, just like Moses was faithful. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we get a picture of this. God is speaking here. And it says this, and he, meaning God, said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. We got a picture of that this morning as we read from Exodus 34. As Moses longed to see the glory of God, he had this unique relationship with God. Even when Moses in his anger reacted angrily towards God's people and he struck the rock twice when he wasn't supposed to do that, it it caused him to not be able to enter into the promised land. But yet, even in that moment, God tenderly cared for Moses and he brought him into his very presence. Moses had an intimate relationship with the living God. He had a unique relationship with the living God and Moses served faithfully in and for the household household of God. And so the author is saying, well, Jesus was faithful like that. He also had an intimate relationship with the Father. He also has a unique relationship with God, and Jesus did not disappoint. He did not desert. He was not derelict in his duties. He did what he was sent to do. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he made entry into that kingdom possible for people from every tribe and every language and every nation. And he defeated our greatest enemies, the greatest enemies of humanity, our sin and the death that results from it. Jesus was faithful just as Moses was faithful to all that God called and commissioned him to. But there was also a difference. And the author points out in these next few verses that Jesus, while faithful like Moses has more glory than Moses. And he gives this analogy to help us understand this. Look at verses 3 through 4. It says for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more gl- as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. He's saying, look, the master builder has more glory, more honor than the masterpiece. Because apart from the master builder, apart from the artist, apart from the person who has the knowledge and the ability to actually do something, that thing wouldn't exist. The great piece of artwork, the great architectural structure wouldn't be there if the person who had the idea and the skill set to actually bring it about didn't exist. And so it's the creator that has more glory than the creation We see in verses 4 through 6, though, that Jesus is worthy of more glory because he is the builder of the house. He even rules over the house, while Moses was a servant in and a part of the house. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, like God is worthy of more glory than the universe that he created. Moses administered The household as a member of the household, but Christ is over the household. In other words, Moses needed Jesus himself. We see a picture of this in 2 Corinthians 3. It talks about the fading glory of Moses. This glory that that passes away with the law and with Moses, and there's a greater glory that's come, and it's in the good news of Christ and the freedom that he brings, which lasts forever. And as an apostle and high priest, Jesus becomes representative of God to his people and the people to God. And that's the role that Moses had played. But Moses was a representative and a mediator. Not the representative and the mediator. Moses always pointed to Jesus. Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. That's what the author means when he says that Moses testified to the things that were to be spoken later. All of Moses' life, all of his ministry pointed to the need for a greater prophet to come, for a greater priest to come, for a greater king to come, and the answer is found in Jesus of Nazareth, the very Son of God. And that's the crux of his point of comparison, of why Jesus is worthy of more glory. They are both faithful, but Jesus is worthy of more glory because he is also Son, the very Son of God, and not a servant like Moses. Jesus has a surpassing glory. I help coach my son Owen's Little League baseball team. And uh, he's playing what's called single A baseball right now. What that means is that there's a machine that pitches the ball to the kids and they have to hit it. And so they're still trying to learn a lot of the mechanics of baseball. But even at this age, they're already keeping track of stats. So the the coaches and the scorekeepers have to keep track of how many at-bats they have and how many hits they get and how many RBIs or runs batted in, if you don't know baseball lingo, uh, that the kids have. And these are the same statistics that are kept at the professional level. And they'll do this all throughout Little League, keep stats. And there's a kid on Owen's team right now, we're almost done with the season, there's a kid on his team right now that's batting 1,000 right now. What that means is, if you don't know baseball, it means every single time he's gotten up to bat this season, he has hit the ball and gotten on base every single time that he's been up to bat. Now, I could look at a stat like that, and I could compare it to Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Zimmerman is the first baseman for the Washington Nationals and right now he's having a pretty great season and he's batting .371, which means that just over a third of the time that he gets up to bat, he hits the ball and gets on base. So now I can look at these things and say, well, Robbie must be a better baseball player than Ryan Zimmerman then, right? Because Robbie always hits the ball and always gets on base. He has a better batting average. Man, I'd be wrong. They're similar in that they're both baseball players playing the game of baseball, hitting the ball and running around the base, but they are vastly different in the level of the game they're playing. And so in some ways, they're also almost not comparable. It's an inadequate comparison. In the same way, the author is making this comparison between Moses and Jesus. See, his audience was tempted to venerate Moses to raise him up to a level. And so what he's saying here to them and to us is, look, Moses is great. Moses is a big deal. But what we need to wrap our hearts and our minds around is that Christ is greater still. He is on a different level of greatness, a different level of glory. So then consider Jesus, the faithful Savior, the faithful Son. Why? Why? Well, this leads to our last point, confidence. We see this at the end of verse 6. Let me read verses 5 and 6. It says this, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope did you catch that? We are his house. I don't know your church background and what your experience with the church is, but oftentimes when we think about the house of God or the household of God, we think about a building, a structure. But that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that you as God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you are the household of God if you are in Christ united to Jesus by faith then you are also united to his people and together we are his house then over and over again in the new testament we see this language used of God's people in 1st Timothy 3:15 it calls the church the household of God in 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 let me read these for us it says as you come to him as you come to Jesus A living stone rejected by by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And as we just read this past Friday in community Bible reading, if you don't know what community Bible reading is, it's a Bible reading plan that we've been doing together as a church so, one, if you've never done it before, you can jump into it. Let this be just encouragement, reminder to you if you've fallen off track reading community Bible reading, man, you can jump right back in into the book of Ephesians. But in Ephesians 2, Paul says this amazing thing about the reality of our life before Christ and after we come to know Christ. Let me just read this for us. Just listen to this. Remember. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, from God's people and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the reality for you right now if you don't yet know Christ. That's the reality for you, what it used to be for you if you already do know Christ, because here's the good news, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are Fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The people of God have become the church. And the Spirit of God now dwells in us and among us. And it's all because of Jesus. Not because you figured anything out. Not because I figured anything out. It's all because of Jesus who is our peace and preached peace to us. And what an amazing picture of the family of God that you and I get to be a part of. We have the privilege and the joy of being a part of this family. And it reminds us that we need Jesus and we need each other if we're going to make it. Sojourn, the good news is, is that Jesus is faithful over you. He's faithful over you. Not as a disciplinarian or a dictator or a despot, but as a faithful and merciful high priest who loves you and gave himself for you. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that there is not one ounce or aspect of who Jesus is that is not faithful He is who he says he is. And he did what he said he came to do to save you and he will bring you all the way home. So hold fast in confidence to him. Consider him. That's what the author of Hebrews is pleading for you to do. That's what I'm pleading for you to do this morning. We are a household if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And we'll talk more about what that means a little bit more next week and in the coming weeks. But at a minimum, what he's saying here is that this is about consistent, ongoing belief. What do you believe today about Jesus? Not letting go or going another way and knowing, knowing, believing that if you are in Christ, he will never let you go. Maybe you're discouraged right now. And maybe that discouragement is because of your sin. You are more aware of your own heart and your own life, those dark places in your own heart and your own life and your own mind than anyone else. You know your thoughts and your actions, the things you do and don't do, the things you say and don't say. You have more clarity about that than anybody else besides God. And when you take an honest look at it, when you're confronted with it, it can lead to despair or depression. In this room this morning are people who struggle with all types of sin. Sexual immorality, lying, deception, drunkenness. Stealing, pride, anger, arrogance, manipulation, having a critical spirit, racism, bigotry, greed, laziness. But friends, take heart this morning because notice what the author does not say. He does not say that your confidence or your hope is in yourself. No, he says our Hope and our confidence hang on Jesus. The hope of a heavenly calling doesn't hang on your righteousness. If it did, none of us would have any hope. We would be completely lost and hopeless. No, our hope and our confidence hang on Jesus, on who He is and what He's done. Maybe you sit here this morning and you never placed your faith truly in Jesus. And I have two groups of people in mind this morning. Those of you that know for sure that you've never followed Christ you've never said that you're a follower of Christ but I think the other group of people some of you this morning that might be here is that you have enough information about Jesus but you've always just been keeping him at an arm's length kind of keeping Jesus out here at a distance but you are here today And don't let that truth escape you this morning. You are here today and you are hearing that Jesus has paid for your sin to restore you to God. And nothing and no one else provides the hope and healing of Jesus. So look to him. Take hold of him. Place your faith in Christ today if you know that you've been distant from Him and maybe you haven't really actually had a real relationship with Jesus, then call on Jesus to save you today. He has paid for your sin and He invites you to Himself now. And for those of you who are already believers, that you are walking with Christ, that you truly do know Christ, He invites you to Himself once again. Because here's the problem if we remember the context of Hebrews, that the author is writing to a group of people, he's he's calling this group of people to stand firm in their faith amidst adverse circumstances, to believe that Jesus is better. Because the reality is when life is challenging, when life is overwhelming, when life is confusing, when life is complex, what tends to happen, what you and I tend to do is to look around and grab hold of whatever is closest and what seems the most accessible. When the waves of life are crashing down around you, you reach and grab for floating debris in the water, or maybe even another struggling swimmer to hold yourself up, missing the fact that a lifesaver has been thrown to you. You just need to grab a hold of it. See, considering Jesus isn't just something for someone who doesn't yet know Christ to do, It's something every believer needs to do every single day. Because the world, with its shiny trinkets and siren calls, seeks to pull you away and it seeks to intoxicate you. To intoxicate you with less glorious things. And it does that from the moment you wake up until you close your eyes at night and it'll do it for the entirety of your life see, what happens is, is that we can confuse even good things for the best thing and the greatest thing. And this can happen even subtly with us that call ourselves followers of Christ. See, to gain hope and to gain confidence, we can look to spiritual people or spiritual things, even good things. We can look to the church or church leaders or pastors. We can look to books or theological tribes or even our deeds and duties within the church. To give us that confidence and that hope. And sometimes our Christian subculture can reinforce this. We're told, read this book and it will change your life. Follow this pastor on Twitter or Facebook or podcast their sermons and it will change your life. He will change your life. And we get this weird dynamic going on where we start to believe that pastors and preachers, that, that they're elevated, that they're that they're high and lifted up and they seem far off and distant and removed. And we go to conferences and there's VIP sections. Then there's literally a rope around these sections and the speakers are inside and the normal people are on the outside. We think, man, if I could just go up and shake his hand. If I could just go up and get a few sec- 30 seconds with him. Just ask him to pray for me. Just ask this singer to, to pray for me. If I could just talk to her, then then I'd be good. And I'd be okay. Man, I do this all the time. I can think, man, if I could just read one more book on leadership, if I could just read one more book on preaching, if I could just get through this blog or learn more about these things, then I'll be a better pastor. Then I'll be a better husband. Then I'll be a better dad. We can be just like the Hebrews that the author is writing to. And we can see someone that is pointing us to Jesus To be more glorious than Jesus. But all of those things, all of those people will disappoint you because none of them are what we ultimately need. At worst, they're distractions. And at best, they're gifts from God. They're gifts from God to be a means to an end, conduits of grace, whose dependence, whose source is not themselves but as the living water, the bread of life, the beginning and the end, the King of glory, Jesus. And you and I have access to Jesus. We have access to the Father. We have access to the Spirit. There's no roped off section. There's no distance between us. The curtain has been torn in two. And we can come to Him. We can take this even a step further. Because the reality is we don't only look for confidence and hope in less glorious people and things. The reality is is that you're a glory stealer. And so am I. We believe that we can fix ourselves. At least functionally. We believe that we can focus ourselves. Okay, this week I'm going to be good. I'm going to focus in this week. We believe that we can be faithful ourselves. That it's all on us, it's all up to us, it's all about us. And what happens is, is when we succeed, when we succeed in these things, we boast in ourselves. Or we take the accolades in praise and we internalize them ourselves. And when we fail, we either dismiss those things or it just completely crushes us. But the reality is, church, it is never about you. It is always and completely about Jesus I mean, what if we sought to have a John 3.30 mentality? He must increase and I must decrease. Man, what what might God do in your life? What might God do amidst us together as we work together? What might he do with us and in us and through us? Sojourn then. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider him and hold on to him. Like a child walking through a crowded mall or concert grips tightly to their father's hand. Hold on to Jesus. But even in that moment, who's really holding on? He has you. See, true reflection and considering cannot happen with a glance. Considering Jesus is not a a head nod to Jesus. It's not a shout out to Jesus. Jesus. No, it requires time and discipline and intentionality. So let me ask you a question. What is one thing, one thing that you need to say no to this week so that you can say yes to Jesus? Jesus is the centering reality of your life. The whole book of Hebrews is a call and a help for you and for I to consider Jesus. What we're doing this morning as we gather together is considering Jesus. Every every single thing we do together as a church on a Sunday morning is about considering Jesus. As we sing, we're considering Jesus. As we have a call to worship, we're being drawn in to worship and consider Jesus. As we see the holiness of God on display in the words that are read and the songs that are sung, we're confronted with our sinfulness. And so we have a time of confession. But then we consider Jesus. He's lifted us up, that we have assurance of pardon and the fact of what Christ has done. As we preach God's Word, we consider Jesus. As we take communion together, we consider Jesus. Then we respond in song and we consider Jesus. You cannot be faithful to follow Christ apart from being connected and committed to a local body of believers, to the church. This is necessary for you and for me so that we might consider Jesus. So to close, let me ask you this. Where are you looking for confidence and hope this morning? Is it in yourself or others? In something less glorious? Is Christ as dear to you today as the first day you met him? Listen, don't take Jesus into consideration as one of many options. He is not a suggestion. He is not a data point. No, he is the safe harbor of your life now and forever to protect and guard and guide you from the winds and waves of life. And in him there is grace upon grace and he will never, ever let you go. Because of that, he is greater and more glorious than anything or anyone else in this world. So sojourn, focus on Jesus. Follow Jesus. Consider Jesus today and every day until he returns or calls you home. Taking communion every week, as I said, is an opportunity for us to consider Jesus anew to set our minds and hearts and the faculties of our body on Christ. See, as you walk forward to receive the elements of the bread and the cup, you make a choice to come to Christ again, to follow Him again in the context of community. As you eat the bread and drink the cup, you ingest a glorious meal of the refreshing presence and the power of Christ. As you hear the words spoken over you this morning, you're reminded of what Christ did for you, his body broken, his blood shed so that you might be free from all of your sin and shame. And as you walk back to your seats, you look around and you see your brothers and sisters and you're reminded of God's storehouse of grace for, the neighbor, for our neighbors and the nations. And as we sing, we respond and worship through song at who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, our blessed hope in our sure assurance. So, if you have truly placed your faith in Christ as your only hope now and forever, let me invite you to come forward and consider Jesus. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning. This is a testimony of the fact that Jesus is our only hope. And so if you haven't yet placed your hope and your faith in Christ, let me just ask you to hang out in your seat. But in that moment, pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. If you're ready to start a relationship with Christ, then pray and tell God that. That you want Jesus. That you want him. And then let somebody know so that we can walk with you in that and help you understand what a life with Christ looks like. Those of you that do come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And then let's stand together and worship and praise our God who has rescued us. Let us consider Jesus together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this morning we pray that you would enable us to truly consider Jesus. I pray that Jesus would be the center of our lives. And show us this morning where he isn't. Help us to think through those questions. What are the things that we are finding our hope in? that we're placing our confidence in? What less glorious things have intoxicated us? Lord, would you reveal those things to us? Would you show us those things? And may we quickly repent and lay them at the foot of the cross and consider Christ our King who loves us and gave himself for us lead us to where Jesus is, make him the center of our lives, and help us, empower us to help one another to do the same. We pray, Father, that you'd bring new life today. Holy Spirit, that you would bring new life today in the midst of this gathering. And we thank you that you are good and that you are faithful. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.